Okay, you ready? We're going to play heavy mystery time. 100 people surveyed, top five answers on the board. Here's the question. Which way is eternity? Which way is eternity? Loved ones, what's going on? I'm Bruce, and this is A Bigger Story. For some reason, only God knows why, there's a Sesame Street scene from like five decades ago featuring Grover, which stays with me after all these years, either from when I first saw it myself as a child or saw it with one of my children, I'm not sure which, could be both. In this scene, Grover is attempting to teach the difference between here and there. He'd stand in one place and say, here, that's my best Grover impersonation. Then he'd run to another spot and say, there, and he'd repeat it, here, there, here, there. The only problem was that when he ran to there, there was no longer there, it was here, and what had been here was now there. And I don't think the Sesame Street writers meant it to be analyzed that deeply, but when here becomes there, and there becomes here, and you're never quite sure which is which, this isn't so much confusion as it is how a mystic is born and how a mystic sees. Time is like that too, in a way. Now is always immediately then, and then is either the previous moment or the next moment, and I know I'm leaving you in the dust, right? I think I just left myself in the dust too. Let me try it this way. The minute we say now is now, it becomes then in the past. And as now becomes then in the past, We are simultaneously catapulted into the then of the future. Or to put it a slightly different way, which way is eternity? If we stick with the basic definitions in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, eternity is infinite time, immeasurable time. So if we read Jesus speaking in the Gospels of the New Testament portion of the Bible, he refers to eternal life as something that's available to us. And that begs the question, if eternal life is available to us, which way is eternal life? Which way is eternity? Is it past, present, or future? And of course, the answer is yes. Eternity is infinite time, immeasurable time. So it includes every moment of time. We mere mortals basically experience time as pretty linear. There was what just happened what's happening now, and what will happen next. Linear, three points on a line. But eternity makes it all nonlinear, maybe a circle, or better yet, sort of a circle, but looping back in and through itself, a figure eight, which is why a sideways eight happens to be the symbol of eternity. In what you might describe as the more liturgical churches, churches where worship services on Sundays and other days of the week follow a prescribed liturgy, prescribed readings appointed for each Sunday, and prescribed seasons of the church year. If you've never been part of a liturgically-minded church, this might be new to you. The seasons of the church year start with Advent in the fall, then Christmas, which is followed by Epiphany, then Lent, then Easter, then Pentecost, and then Sundays interspersed around those specific seasons and high holy days called by some ordinary time. Am I speaking a foreign language? As I record this episode on December 1st, 2022, liturgical churches, at least the Western churches, because the Eastern Orthodox churches have a different calendar of days and seasons, but for liturgical churches in the Western world, the season of Advent has just begun. And by the way, 
Just a little advertisement for liturgical churches, as strange or unfamiliar or non-spontaneous as traditional church liturgies may seem to some, as idiosyncratic as it all can appear if you've never experienced it before, those liturgies in liturgical churches can also be a portal into beauty and mystery, a mode of transportation out of time, out of linear, oppressive time, and into something bigger and wondrous and mysterious. And there are times when I don't have the words or the thoughts or the contemplations. I'm literally at a loss for words in my spiritual life. And I'm grateful that the words supplied in a liturgy can give me the words that I haven't been able to figure out myself. So it's Advent in liturgical churches. It's a time of preparation for Christmas, a time where the readings appointed for the Sundays in Advent are meant to prod us to look inward and then to prod us to notice outward, to notice where there is suffering or loss or sickness, not only disease, but societal sickness, a sickness whose symptoms are all too familiar to us, like selfishness, a lack of generosity, a scarcity mentality instead of an abundance mentality. And so we're called to get past those things and to look to the coming of something new, the advent of something new and redemptive. And a new and redemptive moment happens at the end of Advent on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day when divine love, divine power, and divine power is always love, when that divine love, divine power, shows up in a very unexpected form. The baby Jesus, born to poor parents in the kind of circumstance you'd expect for a poor couple in that time and place. But before that story on Christmas Eve, the Advent stories prepare us for that by working sort of in reverse, starting with stories of the coming of the adult Jesus and the teachings of that adult Jesus. One of the stories, one of the Bible readings that typically shows up for Advent is about John the Baptist, whose role, one of his roles, is to announce the arrival of the adult Jesus to prepare people for his coming and to point him out and say, there he is, he's the one. And one of the things he says about Jesus is this, he must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist says that about Jesus. He must increase, but I must decrease. Less of me, more of him. And that's a useful spirituality for us, even now, to identify that there is an expression of divine love, of divine gentleness and forgiveness, a power that is pretty much the opposite of the way we humans usually define and identify and practice power, to identify that there is this coming of a person who, if we want to know what God looks like with a human face, this person is it. And our spirituality then can become more of that, more of him, less of me. I must decrease, he must increase whatever tendencies I have to otherize or demonize people, to vilify others, to point at them and label them as somehow bad, to discount others, that must decrease and love must increase. So right now I want to pause for just a second 
and give what some people call a trigger warning. I'm going to tell you a brief story, and the story could bring to the surface difficult memories for any who have ever lost a baby. So if that's a place you'd rather not go, I understand, and then I hope you'll tune in for the next episode. So, okay, here's the story. I spent a summer serving as a chaplain at a hospital in Chicago in a neighborhood where the hospital's patient base was about 85% Roman Catholic. As a Lutheran, my uniform was identical to that of my fellow Roman Catholic chaplains, a black shirt with a white collar. My units were the cardiac intensive care unit and same-day surgery. The same-day surgery, I think, was to give me an occasional break throughout the day from the intensity of serving in an ICU. But there was another unit that would occasionally call me to come to their unit, and they would do it sort of on the down low. It was labor and delivery. I would get called by the labor and delivery nurses to come to their unit when the tragedy of a stillbirth or a baby passing away shortly after delivery happened. I can think of few moments in human existence that are more filled with tragedy and pain and grief. So why did they call me and not the Roman Catholic chaplain who was actually assigned to that unit? Well, we were all chaplains in training. Most of us were young, my Roman Catholic colleague and me included. For my Roman Catholic colleague, his church was teaching something that really was very positive, and it's that sacraments are for the living, not the dead. So, for instance, last rites were for someone still alive, not after they had died. And the reason that the Catholic Church was emphasizing this at the time is because they wanted Catholics to not understand these sacramental acts as superstitions, but as something to inform and help the living. So the sacraments were said to be for the living, not the dead. Last rites was one of them. Baptism is another sacrament, and it also is for the living. Where it got tricky is that for a Roman Catholic, and for many other Christians too, baptism was, in the minds of many of the faithful, baptism was necessary for going to heaven. I don't believe that. I think God's love is much bigger than any human-enacted ritual, however sacred and holy and important that ritual might be. So I'm not discounting baptism. I just think God's love is bigger than that. But imagine a mother and father who have just had this indescribable tragedy of losing the baby they had so looked forward to welcoming and being family with. And the Catholic chaplain, my friend, by the way, and an amazing human being, but he was prohibited from baptizing a baby who had already passed away. We were young, and for him to be caught ignoring that prohibition, that rule of his church, would have been fraught with risk for him. He could be removed, however much his heart may have wanted to do it differently. And I had no such prohibition in my church, and the nurses on the labor and delivery unit knew that. So I was the one that summer that the labor and delivery nurses would call if a baby passed away because the nurses were seeing these parents in unimaginable grief compounded by worry about whether their baby was in heaven because the baptism hadn't happened. Those moments are just not the time 
for a discussion of theology or church doctrine. They are a time for extravagant, risky love and comfort. Rules and doctrine and denominational distinctives be damned. So, I would get called to the unit in those times, and I would baptize their little ones who had died. And it made all the difference for some of them. And it gave them an assurance that they needed, that their child was indeed fully embraced in God's divine eternity. The way I looked at it then and now is that the death of their child and their grief over whether they would someday be reunited with their little one in heaven in the future, all of that is a linearity of time that is completely and utterly obliterated by God's eternal now. What we were doing in those moments was daring to step out of our linear human time and just interrupt it and say, we're kind of going to step outside of time here and baptize this baby in God's eternal now. And we were doing it out of our own sense of and our participation in the infinite, limitless, immeasurable, divine love of God. A love that spoke to us sort of in this way, that all of our theology, all of our doctrine, all our anything and everything that might get in the way of the infinite, limitless, immeasurable, divine love of God, all of that and all of us must decrease and God, Jesus, Christ, divine love must increase. Just like John the Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase. One of the most compelling Bible scholars of our present time, Walter Brueggemann, puts it in a way that I think can speak to all of us. He's written this, decrease, decrease what is old and habitual and destructive in your life so that the new life-giving power of Jesus may grow large with you. Decrease what is greedy, what is frantic consumerism, for the increase of simple, life-giving sharing. Decrease what is fearful and defensive for the increase of life-giving compassion and generosity. Decrease what is fraudulent and pretense for the increase of life-giving truth-telling in your life, truth-telling about you and your neighbor, about the sickness of our society and our enmeshment in that sickness. Decrease what is hateful and alienating for the increase of healing and forgiveness, which finally are the only source of life. Walter Brueggemann included those words in a devotional that he has written for Advent because that's what Advent is meant to prepare us for. And those ways of decreasing and increasing could certainly open us up to a bigger story. Stay in touch. Bruce at BruceCole.tv Remember, you are loved. Infinitely. Eternally.